0: hello everybody out there in the podcast world we are coming at you live from this great state of nevada on september 11th 2018 2018 minus 2001 is 17 years since the terrorist attacks on the world trade center in new york city and the two planes hijacked by terrorists flying in To the towers and we all know what happened that day and obviously the slogan of America has been never forget hashtag never forget since then we haven't forgotten I've been thinking about it all day listening to stories on the radio from different DJs different guests different personalities, even people that have gone that went through having loved ones. Extended family immediate family in the towers phone calls from people that were on the airplane and um, I think flight number 93 um, you know actual phone calls that they were making to their loved ones and families As their as they knew something was getting ready to go down something was wrong after those planes were hijacked and going to these different locations um, all these years later, se- imagine if you had a kid in 2001, they'd be 17 years old right now. Seems like a long time, but that event in New York City and the the attacks on the World Trade Center and, and what Osama bin Laden uh, masterminded against our great country seems like it was just yesterday. I remember exactly where I was. And, you know, I just wanted to start off by that because there's a lot of things that happen in our lives on a daily basis that... That you know, they come and go. We we're, we interact with so many different people. We have so many different meetings, or business deals, or parent-teacher conferences, or sporting events, or just a, a friendly one-hour lunch on a Wednesday. There's so much that happens in our lives that we might not remember, but I'm pretty sure that everybody that lives in that country that was of age at that time probably vividly remembers exactly where they were and what they were witnessing on that tv that day and 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 what our country was going through and how the how the first responders and ny you know the fire departments of new york FDNY, and the police departments and and the ambulances and all the emt techs and what they were going through trying to dig through the rubble and find survivors that that were going through the biggest you know just the amount of hell that they were faced with that day and we lost so many americans on that day both in the hijacked airplanes whether they were the ones that hit the towers or the ones that went down in the field in pennsylvania or the the people that were just waking up in new york city to go to their jobs that day in the twin towers so i just wanted to start it off by that and we uh, we have a, a, a cool little uh group of people here today. You guys have all been privy to these guys before. Um, we're all from the, the the state of Nevada. We're going to talk a little bit today about um, big game hunting and the success that these individuals have already experienced in the last pretty much 35 days, if not less than that, 25 days, how it all came together, and the total inches of bone or antlers that were Harvested by this group of people, not to mention the great backstraps that we're going to uh, eat tonight off of one of the elk that our very own Les Nesbit had the the uh, opportunity to harvest in the state of California. And you know the the reason I started off by talking about that, guys, is that that's stuff that our that the fabric of our country has been built on and Les, i want to start with you Les nesbitt you guys have seen him on the foul life you've heard him here on the podcast that this life ain't for everybody but the fabric of america um, is freedom and we, we, our freedom is because of our armed forces, our military, our first responders, our police officers, our EMT techs, our firefighters and, and, and of course again our military the every branch of the military, whether it's the army, the Navy, the Air Force or the marines, uh, we're free to hunt and get to go to California at 77 years old and have the opportunity to harvest a bull of that caliber of that character and now, you're sitting here at this table, 77 years old. You killed another world-class big game animal. Just talk to me a little bit less about what you were feeling on that day in 2001, and how how much better you feel now, knowing that you know of, of the belief in our military and how we responded to that incident. You know, giving us the freedom and the chance to be American hunters.
1: In 2001, I was on another hunt. I was in Edmonton when the plane hit, um, myself and my son-in-law, and uh, we were going on a caribou hunt in Canada. When we got to Edmonton, the plane hit, and we were they grounded all the aircraft, so we were there uh, for five days, I think, before we could get back in the air. We'd get into the area we are gonna hunt. We only had one day to hunt because there was other hunters that were coming in. Uh, but <clears throat> sitting in that, in that room watching everything take place, in New York, and I've never been to New York. My son and I had, but um, it w- it made me very angry. I, 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 I'm kind of a short tempered person anyway, and I just wanted to. Uh, I just wanted to. My idea was let's just go nuke whoever did it. We'll figure out who it was later. But um, since then, I've kind of got relaxed a little bit more, not quite so angry about it. But it comes about all the time. Uh, today, I like you. I've been watching like everything that went on. Uh, and, and a lot of them are reminders. They, I was watching a program September tenth on how they had planned and what they were doing. That the attackers are very interesting, and the whole thing about the plane that went into the Pentagon and everything. It it really brings emotions out in you. Oh, well, you know. I'm sure it does with everybody else. But. Yeah, and I think that
0: you know, I don't think that it's bad or, or or that you should hide those emotions of saying that we were pissed off because as Americans, you know, we I didn't know anybody in the towers, but they're still, you know, they're still us. That could have been anywhere. That could have been the El Dorado, that could have been Chicago, that could have been anywhere. But um, when you when you think about what people went through, it's it's almost impossible to put yourself in somebody's shoes that would have got that phone call from Let's say your uncle or your dad's on that plane and that your phone rings and, oh, dad landed, right? Dad landed, he's safe, you pick it up and then you get that kind of a phone call. That's what's going through my mind is, is 17 years later, we're, we have the emotional uh, attachment to those videos and those news reports that we still get to see and hearing the audio of those phone calls come through. Think about being on that side of the phone of a wife getting that phone call in the morning from your husband, or vice versa, of husband getting a phone call from the wife. Of this is what's going on, and then turning on the TV and seeing it go down as it takes place. I can't imagine that.
1: No, it would it would be unbearable. I, I didn't know anybody like yourself that was uh, was there, or I or didn't know any, didn't lose anybody there, but it was still devastating. It was just. It just brought tears to your eyes just because they were fellow Americans. Um, The people in Canada, when I was coming back out, were so respectful. We were in an airport again, I think, and it was in Edmonton or Whitehorse, coming back out, and they had a moment of silence, and there were some people still jabbering. And we happened to be standing next to a Canadian news reporter, and she bluntly went over to the people that were talking, and she says, look... We have two American citizens here that their country is going through. And and she really corrected these people and reprimanded them for being disrespectful for the minutes of silence that they were having. So everybody around the country or around the world felt for us, I believe, or at least the ones I was associated with.
0: And getting back to my original thought of, of what you just experienced in California, that's the other way that I think of... Um, taking things for granted, something as, as monumental as that elk hunt is in a person's life. And you, and you harvested another record book elk because you're a good hunter. You've, you've made a living to where you can afford and you're allotted the opportunity to do these things. And you rightfully deserve that for sure. But I, it's hard to take the gratification or the, the, the feeling of excitement or anything it's hard to think about even starting or going to Canada next week when I saw those reports today. And I'm sure that if you're on that mountain today and you're sitting over that, that elk that you just harvested, that's the, that's the beauty of hunting is to be able to, to look at that elk and the majesty of what that elk does, the life that that elk lived. And I think that's the true meaning of hunting. And I think that, that the, the emotions that you had for the people in the towers that day, and I'm nowhere near trying to compare what happened in New York as to an elk hunt. But I think that uh, the emotions in us come out in so many different ways that it's impossible for a 77 year old man not to get emotional about being able to elk hunt just like you were emotional about what happened to our fellow Americans and I think that's one of the secrets of life is that people are like grown men don't cry well we sure as hell do right and that that today I cried several times every time I would see that report I'd find myself getting teary-eyed because of those pieces of shit that did that to our country they they almost got away with it they almost got away with it. We, fought, we got them several years later, but there's still guys that are alive that had something to do with masterminding that deal.
1: That's very true, but I, I think for your own well-being, you have to let some of that anger go. Uh, as I said before, I, I, I have a pretty rough temper, and uh, I don't like being mad. It's constantly being mad at those people, even though I still am. I mean, I think we should, should have done things different, but... I've learned, learned that, you know, I, I have to accept that. And then when I get into the elk hunting, um, I'm, I'm, such a, I, I'm, I'm such an avid big game hunter and waterfowl hunter. But with the big game, it's, it's an individual animal for an individual time a year. You know, once a year you, you get to shoot a deer in a particular state or whatever. Uh, and that becomes very emotional for me. If I if I work really hard physically and mentally trying to harvest an animal and once you're successful at it it's it's the, it's just the the success that you have with that and the effort it it just all comes to uh, to being and it is it's very it's very very uh, emotional to me I mean I have literally killed animals and sat down by myself, or you know, there's other people there, and and actually get a little teary-eyed about what went on the three or four or six hours you were making the stock, or, or the two minutes that it, you made the stock. It's it's all it's all uh, it all enters your enters into your mind and, uh, and your emotions. It it's uh, it's an emotional event to uh, accomplish something it's all it's all accomplishment and we get to have a nice elk dinner this evening. So.
2: Clay and I uh couldn't agree with you more i don't know if there was a moment at least this year that we didn't get emotional at the end of our hunt i've oh. seen clay cry like a baby Right after the bullet flies and the animal goes down, and I had a little taste of that myself just what one week ago right now, and yeah. it does. It just hits you all at once. It's an emotional experience, and all that hard work that you put in, it just floods through you, so we know exactly what you're talking you about. You know,
1: the, the, the group of people that are here, are, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a difference between, you know, uh, guys that just go out and hunt. If they draw a tag, they go... To- uh, get a tag and go out and have a good time with all their buddies but there are certain groups of people that like the ones that are gathered around here well hunting is their whole life it's i mean it's everything that you do it's it's what your whole life is built around i mean i've been hunting for 40 years uh, you know only longer than you guys just because i'm a lot older but um uh, it, it just becomes a very emotional thing for you. With, with certain groups of people, it's just beyond uh, just an everyday hunt. And I
0: think that that becomes, you know, we talk about it a lot on everything that we do with the brands, is I think the emotional attachment to hunting is the most important part to a hunter. And I think that it, when you start out as a hunter, it's all about that bag limit, that, you know, those bands, uh, that 200-inch deer, that 180-inch. And I think as you start to mature in your 30s and 40s, you start to really start to see that, there's way more in this experience, this lifestyle, this ability and this blessing to be a hunter. And that's where I wanted to, was going with it is that things that happen like that that are so monumental in, in our country's history, there's been, a, there's been other things. It's not just 9-11. This is, this is just the anniversary of 9-11 and those terrorist attacks. And it's just hard not to feel for those people still that went through that. And that's, I think that's where I wanted to bring in you know the emotional attachment of hunting, and that's what the most important thing to me. Is that if you're standing up against a tree in Arkansas, or sitting on a rim rock in via Nevada, looking at an antelope or a mule deer, or watching ducks come into that flooded timber in Arkansas, it's not about getting that gun to your shoulder as fast, right, Crosby? I mean, when you're when you're thinking when, the way you are, and the way you were brought up with your brothers and your dad and your mom, there's a it's a it's a tradition, and it's a it's more of a uh, not a commodity, but just more of such a, a, a valued part of what we are and what Les said you know our, it's what our makeup is made out of and I'm sure that you you remember where you were on nine eleven two thousand one, 2001 and I'm sure that it brings back memories and it makes everything that we do in our life that much more important because we understand you can't take that kind of anything for granted
3: oh yeah and 100% and I think Les hit it on the head as as you get older that bag limit and that you know that macho end of hunting kind of goes away and you really start to just value that time out in the hills with your buddies or your family or you know if it's your kids whatever but um yeah that's my favorite part when you know when we go out and you just you spend time you know we we never have campfires but well you know there's definitely a lot of sitting around the the tent or whatever at night talking and reminiscing about the day whether you got one didn't get one you know, however it goes, and it, and it and it's everything. It's bird hunting. It's it's big game hunting. It's coyote hunting. It's all that stuff. Um, you know, it, it, the the macho ness is gone from us. You know, kind of older guys that are that are out hunting. You know, whereas during nine eleven, I was twenty years old. You know, I was in college, and you know, maybe at that time in my life, it was all about trying to get a limit or you know trying to get the biggest animal I could get, and um, you know, sitting here seventeen years later and and having a year like we're having it you know it's it you feel like you're 20 again but at the same time I think we enjoyed it a lot more being older adults now than maybe we would have when we were young guys back then
0: and i think that when you go you, you say 17 years later is that 911 sticks in my head so vividly because obviously we we were at that age to where we we're kind of getting out of that the the you know the high school years the college years the party years per se and you you know i was older than you by four or five years and i was like just in shock it makes you like should I have joined the military? Should I be there protecting those people? Am I playing? Am I doing my part as a citizen of this country to help? And you can't think like that. Is like Les says, you got to let that anger go because again, that can happen anywhere. These school shootings. These we had one close here at your alma mater, at Sparks Middle School, a couple years ago. We had a school shooting. Things. It you you got to feel for people that are going through because it, it can happen to any of us at any time. And to have it being you know such a monumental thing like nine eleven. I I don't want anybody to ever say oh they're comparing shooting an elk or a duck to what those guys went through i'm simply saying that we can't take life for granted and as a hunter it's not just about that picture with a dead animal it's the whole experience of being tied to that part of mother nature the country the land the habitat the animal the respect the compassion that we actually have for these animals as as hunters and i just felt i just found myself all day today just kind of being somber about what those people went through and what they're probably still going through and you you we, we don't want to make the whole podcast about you know how sad 9-11 was we just want to make sure that we that people understand that we don't forget and we think about what those guys went through and what people are still going through as far as the people that lost their loved ones in the towers or those plane crashes and it makes being a hunter it makes being in america even that much more proud that we can um you know do the things that we get to do and clint do you remember where you were at
2: for it yeah and before i get to that i just to extend the emotions along as far as nine eleven goes just today. I, uh, picked my 13 year old, uh, eighth grader up and he's a very bright, intelligent kid. And first thing I asked him was, you know, what today is and what it signifies. And right away, oh yeah, it's when the, when the twin towers were bombed. And I said, well, not exactly, you know, well, planes flew into him. So we had a, we had a good 15 minute conversation on the ride home and, um, I just kind of quizzed him on it and the first thing that I realized was at school today they did a moment of silence at that beginning bell the principal gets on and did a moment of silence and that was it not one other word spoke about 911 to 8th graders and it kind of hit home so I figured you know that's what parents are for a lot of the ways you got to teach your kids more than uh, maybe what they get at school so I I felt it was a uh, it was on me to discuss it with him in that moment I thought we had a really good conversation um, you know, what really happened, who did it, why it happened, um, why, it's, why it's significant. And it, I think, uh, what, four years later, he came along, and it's a completely different perspective from a kid that way. And I just thought, you know, what what'd your social studies teacher talk about today? We have a, well, our, we have a lesson plan, and we're talking about European something, or I didn't even really listen to him, because I thought, gosh, one teacher that could have spent 10 minutes mm-hmm. talking about that subject today, not a word about it. And I just thought... You know, and that's not a knock on teachers. It's not necessarily a knock on our public school education, but it's you know, it's the one day that you could mention to the kids to keep it. It doesn't have to be the first thing in their mind, but you have to pay tribute to it. And He made an interesting comment. He said, "Well, it's you know, there's big things that have happened in the country, and it's not like you know we remember the days they happened." And I, and I kind of went, "What do you mean by that?" And I said, "He said, I brought up Pearl Harbor It's the next biggest thing that typically people think about." And he said, "Yeah, Pearl Harbor. When did that happen?" I said. December 7th, 1941. I mean, I wasn't alive then, but it's one of those dates, it's one of those things that we have to remember. We have to keep it alive um, for the next generation in the same way that we have to keep alive the lifestyle that we live.
1: And I might be a a little off on this, but there wasn't any more people killed at Pearl Harbor than there was in the Twin Towers.
2: 343 firefighters went down in those towers. I I forgot Mm. that number. I heard it today on the radio, of course, like everybody listening to different stuff, but 343 people that ran the other direction Mm. than all the rest of those people were going and they were in that tower. Can you imagine trying to get people down? There was, there was one story about a guy that ended up getting somebody out. They were in a wheelchair, I think dozens of floors up and they carried that person down those stairs and they actually got out in time, but over 2,000 people didn't, and 343 of them were firefighters. That just, that just is one of those numbers. Those are numbers the true, true heroes, heroes, people that run
1: back in there. You know? yeah.
4: um, the first thing I, I think about today is I, I was 23 when it happened, and I don't hate that it's not shown every day, but like you're saying, Clint, is that I think we have to remember it more because it, it seems to get lost because of the times we're in and we don't talk about stuff like that and we got to be politically correct and all that stuff. But my view is show it more to to let these kids see it more and everyone see it more to appreciate things like where we came from because all they get is ingested with silly stuff on the internet and all these different platforms. But I think... Those videos do need to be shown more to to make people realize there's something bigger out there than just everyday life and what, what true heroes are. And I do want to say, not just 2001, but in 2012 when Benghazi happened, our five diplomats and people over there are, you know, obviously September 11th too. So I want to say, thinking about them people too.
3: Yeah, I saw a really interesting post with. Uh, <clears throat> the the a remembrance for Benghazi too, and it's you know that it was not a coincidence that that happened on nine eleven and uh yeah that that really struck a
4: chord with me as well, so thanks for bringing that up. yeah in. No, it was not a youtube video
2: no. well it's interesting you bringing that up. the one other thing I want to say about my conversation with my eight year old eighth grade thirteen year old was uh had you ever actually seen that happen? Have you seen... I mean, social media out there, they had to have seen it, right? He said, oh, yeah, I've seen it. I said, have you actually seen those planes fall, fly into the building? They weren't bombs. They were planes. They were fully loaded. We talked about how they how they, uh, they planned that out and told them about the, the bombing uh, years before where they blew the, the van up in the basement. You know, they were trying to figure out how to knock those buildings down, and I think it was six years later that they got it done. I believe it was 1995. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, they actually paid engineers and figured out how you're going to bring that building down a fully loaded, it was a bomb it was a fully loaded bomb with jet fuel but uh, he's never actually said oh yeah I've seen it before and I said well you've actually like watched the videos, have they shown it in class that type of thing, no I've, I've seen memes about it so you I, know, find just to it, I find, it very, what you guys were I just find it
0: very weird that the teachers didn't talk about it. He's that. never actually seen that's, the that's video amazing. of
2: those planes, and I thought there's, there's several videos from different points of view, and it's not used in the public education system. Just, uh, just one other thing, it's a meme of it, which who knows what it said, but some still shot of the plane going in, who knows if it was even real, but there's a, there's a way to look at how a 13-year-old kid and anybody younger than that, that's, that's the, the lens that they're looking at 9-11 through. Yeah, and I... I
4: I think there's got to be some respect to the families that might not want to see it every day and remember it, but I would think most of them would understand why people would want to watch it and still feel those. You don't have to be angry towards the people, but you have to remember the people, And, and not just the people that died that day, but still 17 years later, there's people that are still affected from all the... Carcinogens that are, you know, cancer and going through a a ton of stuff still today that are still suffering from it. Not, not just the families that passed away back then. And all the emotionals
1: from the people that didn't die, but the family members, the emotionals. Yeah, there's got to be PTSD on that. Yes. I mean, it's
0: well I don't you know that's it's just something that I wanted to start off today with because it is very important I think that it is important to to see the videos and be reminded of what of what our country went through I mean that's a that's a big feat to pull off to knock down the twin towers and for the the way that they 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 masterminded that deal by you know even the pilots that went to school in america to learn how to fly planes and and even to get into those pilots i mean what they did is horrific and it should be we should be reminded and i think kids should be taught about it. it's part of our american history it's it's part of who we are that makes up that fabric of america with our with what we're built on so uh you know it's 9 2018 we wanted to say our thoughts and, and and prayers are still with the families. We wish every single person that was involved in that our best because we wouldn't, we'd, we wouldn't want to walk in your shoes. We would in a heartbeat, but we wouldn't want to because nobody wants to go through that with their family. I don't care who you are. You don't want to wake up to that or get that phone call or anybody. So let's not forget about it. Let's keep their memory alive. Let's support our military, our 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 first responders, police officers, and EMTs and firefighters because they're important. They're important to our societies and our communities. And and in today's community and our in today's society, there there a lot of them are getting a bad rap. And it's it's amazing to me to see what's going on with the div- the division of 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 our society in, in this country right now. And we're not going to get into it because we're not uh, a political show. Maybe we could should turn this into a political show, Les. I could see. You being like, a, what's Clint, give me some of the names because this is all you listen to. Uh, this uh, Rush Michael Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh and uh, what's the other one? Michael, uh, the Savagers,
2: the Michael Savage or Michael Savage Nation.
0: But you know they all got something to say and it's uh, it's interesting. So we have our point of views and we're going to keep them to ourselves at this point. I've already probably let out a few too many of mine today, and I want to start right now with Crosby on you. We get these new tree axes from Matthews. Um, Awesome bows. People around the country are raving about them. Social media presence has been outstanding on the, the new brand of bows that Matthews just put out, this new model, I should say. You guys draw an archery, uh, what we call a party tag, and I want you to correct anything I say that's wrong because I haven't been privy to any of this in a few years. A party tag in the state of Nevada means that you guys go and you put in for an area. You get five choices of that area. You get your first choice all the way down to five in chronological order. You drew a tag in, north, in, in Washoe County, north Areno, Reno, 150 miles. Um, was it your number one choice?
3: It was our first three choices. Oh, so, so
0: you so did you have an idea that there was a big buck in there because of a a, a, a a hint that you got?
3: Well, no. So two years ago, I drew this antelope tag, same unit. So in Nevada, it's you know uh, sectioned off into hunt units, and I had drawn this unit as an antelope tag, and uh, we saw. Maybe these deer, maybe not these deer, maybe their they're parents or whatever, but we saw some big bucks out antelope hunting. And for two years, we put in for this unit as our first three choices, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle. Um, and we did not get it the first uh, two years. And then, yes, luckily on this year, the third year, we drew it as a party archery tag. So Clint, Clay, and I, uh, all three of us, which you all have to go, maybe not at the same time, but it's all the same season. Um, We all drew this tag together with, uh, with uh, archery and um, yeah, it was just, it it was unbelievable, you know, and, and luckily we're able to, Clay was able to turn these, this group of deer or, you know, the genetics of this group of deer back up um, right before the season. And, you know, so he, he found them the day before the tag opened and uh, I believe I got there the day the tag opened, and Clint came up the evening.
0: That was the, the first time you'd been in the country all year? You hadn't been w- scouting at all? W- w- no,
3: we went scouting. Clint and I did go scouting, um, and we were not able to turn these deer up. So it, it actually is like that roller coaster of emotions that now we waited two years, and now we drew this tag, and we get there, and we can't turn them up. You know, we, 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 can't, we couldn't find them. We, we found other deer. But we did not find these deer that we were looking for.
4: Remember the remember the phone call I said oh, when, yeah. I, when I call, I, call, I found him the August 9th, which was obviously we all know his, Dad's death date. But I found him on the day that Dad passed away, and um, I called Crosby the next morning or maybe that night. No, I found him that morning. So I, I went to Cedarville and I called him on the way and I said, "Hey, uh, you want to kill a uh, 195 inch seven by six? Or a hundred and eighty inch four by four, and he goes, ah, bullshit! You didn't find nothing. I swear, I swear, I had those two and like fifteen other bucks I found all to all together. And he goes, well, either one of them, obviously. And I said, all right, well, we just got to figure out a way to kill him. And
3: yeah. it was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing how well he was spot on with one. He was way off on the other one. As so you didn't, as- so
0: you didn't, you didn't, you didn't draw this tag. The tag results, draw results in the state of Nevada come out in June.
3: Uh, Yeah, end of May, first part of June.
0: So you didn't grab a, a, a target, a block target, and your bow and a bunch of practice practice tips and and go out and and, and shoot. This was the first time you shot the bow too. No. We're so you guys are just skipping ahead to the hunt, but like <laughs> you guys are acting like oh, you just like you see what I'm saying, Les. It's almost like almost like it's secondary to them. Just no well, problem. They do it in their sleep. But to have uh, to have a chance at a 195 inch non typical muley in velvet or what a 180. We'll talk about what it turned into. But you don't just draw an archery tag and go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go out there. You just said, literally, you go, yeah, I got there the day the hunt started and killed the 195. You got, let's figure out how it happens to be able to, the placement of that arrow, the breathing. I've been behind a, a bow with a big deer out in front of me, and I shit the bed bad and cried That's like nice. a baby, right? It was on national TV. So, like, what leads up to this? Is there a lot of preparation and practice that goes into being a, uh, to getting that opportunity on that deer?
3: Yeah, you know, I I would love to lie to you and tell you there was a lot more, but I think when those bows were delivered, I shot in your backyard uh, maybe 10 arrows. And then uh, we did go to uh, Dave Stanley's house and shot. He's got a little mock 3D uh, set up in his backyard. We did probably shoot 50 arrows that night. We did shoot a lot that night. Um, and, and a few other times, you know, we did. Um, but the shooting part of it was... Um, you know that that was that was in the the week up, you know, weeks up leading up to it. We did go scouting one time. I hate to jump ahead. Um, but we were kind of disappointed in that scouting trip as we didn't find the deer we were looking for.
4: Well, I was going to say that with the once you these bows are so good that once you get dialed in, it's like riding a bike. I mean, it's just you still have to practice and still have to breathe and I mean, we tried to walk, you know, a mile or whatever, get our heart rate up to see if we were going to spot and stock And you a you, mile? <laughs>
0: no, eight, I'm just eight yards.
4: No, it's to where you can get your heart rate up and and practice at that at that point instead <laughs> of just always sitting. You sit, you stand, you walk back, you shoot your bow. It's just like no one really. But when the bow is so good, you have such confidence in it, then you don't you don't. Mess with it that much, I think I mean the more it's kind of like golf the more you play, the worse you get uh, with, with arrows when you feel good stop you know,
3: stop that's what we 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 set a target up uh where we were actually hunting at and and um I did shoot a few times we all shot a few times in camp, but yeah it's it, it is funny it's uh, there was no major hiccups with sighting them in and getting the rest set up and all you know so it, it actually I remember you know, the first archery tag that we all drew together, um, there was a lot more shooting. There was a lot more trips to the, to the bench to, you know, tweak this and tune that and do this and do that. It was, it was actually almost effortless, you know, to get these bows set up with everything and to just really be shooting, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not comfortable past, say 50 yards. So really I, I concentrate 20, 30, 40, and then 50 is, you know, kind of like, I don't, I don't want to go past that anyway. So Um, we were shooting out to there, we were shooting in camp. Um, and I really, uh, it, 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 I wish I could over dramatize it, but yeah, it was very, the shooting part of it was the easiest part of it by far
0: so you in nevada you in a lot of what you hear in the west the united states on on archery hunts is what we call spot and stock or you can do that with a rifle or whatever but it's something to spot and stock a big animal and there's different ways to set up your 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 stock obviously you spot the deer and now it's how do you get in position because you're not going to shoot that bow at 300 yards like you are a 270 winchester um and smoke that deer or that that mule deer at 300 yards you have to get within you know you guys probably 60 yards or less.
3: 60 max for me. I, and, I, Nevada, and I don't want to do 60, really.
0: In Nevada, you have high buck brush. You know, these deer, a lot of people want to go high. Some people like to stay low. You know, we're not going to tell people how to hunt or change their ways, but we don't need to tell everybody where these deer were either, right? But um, spot and stock, you spot one and you sneak in, you get your wind right, and you walk in and you get you know, you strategically get in place to, to shoot that deer, he might be in his bed, you wait for him to stand up. He might have to get in a clearance. This one was more like Clay had him dialed in on the way that they were they were they were eating in the flats and you guys had to get to a spot to not ambush them is that what you call this kind of hunt to where you know the routes that they're taking and there was a a choice of two places where these deer were coming in and out of this area and it was almost impossible to spot to stock them the final where they where they ended up each day right or how did it work out
3: yeah pretty much exactly what you're saying the the only difference being that these were two of the most you know kind of wary unpredictable deer ever they they did not do the same thing. They they did the general same thing every day, but they would not do the exact same thing every day. They would move differently every single day. The smaller deer, you could have done what you just explained every single morning. You'd know that that deer is going to go eat from that patch of clover or that piece of grass or whatever. You know he's going to be there in the morning. These the, these bigger deer, they they do not. They move all around. And I remember. Uh, being very frustrated i actually i had texted somebody that the day before that i i was able to get this deer that i had not gotten a deer and that like it was pretty much over you know like the, i have one more day and we just can't seem to get these things figured out and it's not working out and you know probably probably going to eat some tag soup this year you know it was very it was frustrating you know it was five days of just second guessing yourself and you know, I, I'm going to go, like you said, I'm going to go high today where they might be. And, and then they're low. And then, so you go low and now they're high and, you know, I'm going to go over to the left and there to the right. So you go to the right and they there to the left. It was just, it was a, it was a constant chase, you know, nonstop this week. And, um, what, it, which made it all that much sweeter when it actually did work out. Um, but yeah, you know, like a, like, you know, ambush maybe, um, isn't, isn't, quite the word most people would use but you know we we definitely had to establish some kind of a pattern with these deer uh, you know somewhat that we could and then you know you had to move and adapt I remember clay sat 80 yards from them one night for probably an hour and, and there's nothing you could do you know sometimes they just sit in the perfect spot where you you can't do it you know they just they won't let you have it that night and um
0: And the other thing that you're dealing with in this part of the country and this part of the state is that there's private property in certain areas. And you guys are doing a DIY public land hunt in the state of Nevada with no outfitter. These deer easily could have woke up on any given morning throughout that span of the days that you guys were able to go hunt, and they could have said, Hey, we're gonna chill over here on the private side. That's the thing about dealing on public land DIY hunts is that you have to get yourself in a position where, one, there's deer. Just like in anything, you gotta be where there's animals. You know that deer's there. Now it's to formul- formulize- that, formulating that strategy to be able to get yourself in the position for that shot so lead me into that you you know that the last 200 yards of this is almost going to be impossible unless it's a belly crawl well a belly crawl on a mule deer that's this size that's had this much experience in life and this much maturity is next to impossible so the next best thing is to try to guess which route he is going to come into this area or go out of this area and that's where you end up getting to draw back on this deer right
3: yeah exactly and, 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 and you brought up a funny, you know, kind of a story as Clay and I, the first day that we tried to hunt these guys, uh, we actually ran into three or four other hunters that, um, we don't think they ever actually saw them, but they were there, they were in the area, they were definitely hunting, um, and they were glassing and it probably affected that first morning hunt because I think these deer definitely saw them and, and totally went a different route, which kind of blew us out. But, um, back to your second, uh, point there. Yes. We, uh, you know, we kind of established this, this meeting point, so to speak, or a trailhead, um, and, and, uh, an established route that these deer like to use. And, uh, we, we couldn't close the final distance and we were, we were actually sort of given up on the whole, whole deal. You know, it was kind of thinking it wasn't going to take place just the way that they were moving. And, uh, it didn't seem like they were going to come this particular path that we chose. And, uh, we we started to kind of pack it up we were we were going to be done for the we were going to be done for the night there um and lo and behold uh they actually started to to feed our way and come our way
4: and back up one second what we were both hunting these deer at the same time from two as it got later in the week alex and clint were on one side and i was on the other side and the night that alex actually killed I was closer to all of them for the first couple hours I got like he's saying 80 or 100 yards or whatever the time when they got to me I belly crawled through some nasty stuff and they were 100 yards from me and I sneezed 50 times and under my breath as, as much as I could and they I'd sneezed and all 15 bucks and and 20 does would look up at in my direction and then go back to you know feeding and walking and I'd sneeze and they all look at me and then go back to feeding and walking and it got to the point where they they just stopped and fed and and I was wondering if should I I know I'm done now they're past me there's no way for me to get to them so I knew my hunt was over that night so I was just trying to sit back and watch if they were going to get to where Clinton Alex were and I was thinking in my head, should I get up and kind of slowly walk to him or in try to push him to Clinton? Now Which we was, were thinking too. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it never works out the way you think it's going to do. They're going to run in the exact opposite direction of what you want them to. And then the next morning, I really wanted to get right where I was that night, thinking they were going to be there that next morning. And then I didn't want to go, okay, they th- there's a boogeyman over here in the corner. We're not definitely going over there in the morning, so... I didn't do that. And then Alice can handle the rest.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like I said, we were, we were given up. We, we, which I guess there's a really good point that, um, I'll remember the rest of my life is to always be patient because, uh, you know, like I said, we had given up, we were, we were just going to call it a night and, and, and chalk it up to another loss for us. And whatever it was, you know, I, I, I think it was a couple of does first, um, started to make their trek in, in our direction in, in a smaller three point buck. And we just, we just happened to look back that way and go, wait a minute, they are coming this way, you know? And, and so then, then, you know, just like you tried to say, you want to try and make your heart stop pounding. And (laughs) two, two years in a row, I, I just black out at this point of, the hunt. And I I really do. And it's, um, it's, it's, I guess the uh, muscle memory of pulling back a bow and shooting and all that stuff, because I, I vividly remember this deer, you know, coming in and, and I, and I remember I was sitting on my, on my butt, which is a really awkward way to shoot a bow. And I definitely did not practice that, but it just how it worked out. And, and I, and I remember he stood right in front of me, you know, as big as he could stand right in front of me and and I, and I drew back and all that, I, I just don't, I don't remember any of it that, you know, I don't remember putting a pin on them. I don't remember setting anchors or any of that stuff. But I do remember when I released, you know, he, and Clint remembers it too, he jumped probably 10 feet in the air and I, and I just knew that I made a great shot. And I don't remember doing it, but I know that I did
4: it. I remember because I, when I knew I was done and I thought you guys were done too, I was back at camp and Clint said, Hey, you want to go get this? seven by six with us and i was like what are you talking about you know the hunt's over and he's like no alex stuck him and i go Bull crap!" and i remember the first time alex talked to me he goes i don't even remember what deer i shot I, I don't know if i shot the seven by six the four by four the fork and horn the three point the i don't even know what i shot i i really panicked because clint clint left me there
3: you know he he, he said i'm gonna go get clay because we needed to help you know and we hadn't walked over to to even look at the deer yet uh, and he was going to go find clay and, and he, when they left and I was there by myself with my thoughts, I really started to think I, I, I shot the wrong deer. Like <laughs> these guys are going to be so disappointed in me because there was a very big four by three that was, that was coming in with these deer. And I don't know why, but in my mind, I thought, I, I think I shot that four by three. He wasn't even there. I don't even know where that came from or anything else but it was it was really like this fear and like disappointment came over me for a minute and when they got there i i do remember saying to clay i i i don't know i don't really don't i don't know what i shot and i knew you know i like i definitely knew when i think about it now i think about it there's no way i didn't do it and 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 you obviously have to wait you know for the right time and it th- this process took a minute or so to to get a shot ready and and all that but i just in my mind i can't remember those that minute of my life and i really
0: that's probably why the shot was placed so well. Probably. Because it could have been a fork and horn. If you think about that, if as an archery hunter, if you train yourself, like this is just a little 4 by 3 that I'm going to eat the back straps out of. I've done this a million times, and really it's a 170-inch mainframe with 25 inches of trash, 195-inch or 995 and a half. less. have you seen the pictures of this deer?
1: I, I saw the videos. You saw the video? I saw the videos.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is a... Dear of a lifetime. Yes,
4: absolutely. What were you thinking, Clint? I mean, yeah. you were sitting right there next to him, weren't you? So,
2: well, the, the one thing they left out of the story. Remember back, all three of us had tags, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not going to blame them because honestly, I I hurt my shoulder. It's just the, that's the bottom line. So I almost kind of turned into the guide. Chad said it was a do-it-yourself hunt, but um, yeah. I felt like I was kind of the guide because I pretty much I I put my bow up. I was. I was concerned that i'd hurt myself further. Um, this brings to mind what great shape Les has stayed in all these years and here i am forty at this time forty one I am now forty two and i 'm uh kicking myself every day that I hurt myself. but what it did do is that it allowed me it allowed them a, a third person that that was very helpful um, we we try to we try to hunt by a, all of not not the not the illegal or legal things, but we we do have radios with us, um, but we try to do it as natural as possible. But it allowed me to take the pressure off of actually hunting and get on a vista. Because the one thing about these deer, deer you, you guys were talking earlier about, you know, do you do you spot and stalk them, all that stuff. It really is dictated by the terrain, you know. And that's the great thing about Nevada is we have a little bit of everything. And when you're hunting mule deer, the, the thing about mule deer is they really are, I, I would imagine, the toughest animal to hunt because there's, all of their senses are very good. You know, some other big game species, they rely on a certain sense a little bit more than others, but deer, I think that's what makes them so difficult. And then where these deer were actually living, um, spot and stock was really out of the question. I mean, we kind of knew that from the very beginning. Not that we didn't try to do it the first couple of hunts, but you can't do it because they were living in flat ground in high sage and that's just unless you have a really strong wind which we never really were presented with you just can't do it but uh but it did going back to to me i was basically not a hunter for the uh four days that i was there and it it was a great opportunity to actually help alex out i would admit that if it wasn't for me being there i was going to come back to town and i decided to stay for the afternoon hunt i think we all had a feeling that something great was going to happen it was just we failed i mean hunt after hunt and it felt like a month's worth and in reality it was four days worth but you fail that many times you really do feel like my gosh I don't think we're ever going to catch up with these deer we see them we're they're not doing the same thing we see them every time and we cannot get on them and it is frustrating you have to go back to that patience that persistence and you have to trust that you know what you're doing and at the end of the day I think we kind of know what we're doing and eventually that night it, it all worked out I was able to see these deer early and I think without that, I just with where they were at and generally the direction they started out, our initial plan was not going to work out. and we changed uh, changed gears in probably a matter of 10 minutes, and then we had to wait, and I'll tell you that, that that hour of waiting was was unbelievable. And then just like any hunting, especially archery hunting, it happens in a flash of a moment. You go from nothing. Almost anxiousness and and depression and it's not going to work again and we got to get up at three thirty again tomorrow morning and oh my god what are we going to do I'm already tired now I got to get back to work and then like a millisecond here they come and it's on you and I, I you're in the zone right I mean you don't you don't have time to think you don't have time to think and it's all that practice and repetition and it's just it's I I equate it to sports it's exactly like hitting a baseball or you know you don't remember. What pitch you hit? You don't remember the curve of the ball. You don't remember it hitting the bat, and it's a it's a line drive in the gap. It's the same kind of thing. You're in a zone. It's no different than than any kind of sport. And uh, Alex put it on him. I mean, that deer. He he, he wondered what he hit in the, in the beginning. I mean, I knew from the very beginning there was one deer that you were gonna. You're not gonna mistake a four by three. You <laughs> and you guys are you guys are telling us wrong. It, depending on how you want to count the points, it's different in the Midwest with whitetail and stuff. But this is an eight by seven. This isn't a seven by six. This is an eight by seven. He's a triple eye guard and a double eye guard. He's an eight by seven. He's a monster. And it's like he started saying, I think I shot the wrong deer. How do you mistake a four by three? And it's a nice four by three, but I mean, when you have an eight by seven, you, you don't mistake him for any other buck. And we knew he was dead right away. We actually watched him lay down in the high sage. You know, it was a lethal shot. And the rest of it was just,
1: you know, getting the group together and going after him. And you don't, you don't, uh, kill deer like that, especially two of them by luck, I mean, there's always a little bit of luck, but like I was saying at the beginning, there's a nucleus of people that really take hunting serious as the group here, and it's done you got those two deer because of a lot of skill and and dedication to the sport I mean you can't forget that yeah, what you're saying two bucks is. Yeah. The next
4: yeah. the next night. Clint had to leave actually. That was Sunday night that Alex got his and we were staying till Monday, me and Alex. Morning. The morning hunt. Clint had to work Monday morning, so he had to drive, you know, three hours home from where we were at midnight. He gets home at three in the morning and it's just me and Alex left now. And that next morning I was back in that same spot where I was the night before, hundred yards from him and we couldn't do anything. The sun came up, and guess what? They were out there 100 yards from me again. Same exact spot, feeding, and...
1: Uh, a lot of that comes from the fact that you didn't screw up the first year. Yeah. You know, it, uh, if you would have got excited or done something and spooked them out, yeah. then you wouldn't have had that same opportunity the next day. Well, and, and I
4: had to wait 24 hours, because that next morning, they got to a point where... I couldn't, I couldn't stalk on them again that next morning. Well, and that's, and, and that's
1: part of the law. You know, you can't hunt when you fly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I didn't say fly. <laughs> uh, that next morning when I was back out there in the flat where they were, were every morning, I was 100 yards from them and I couldn't do anything again. I could, you couldn't get any closer to them under the cover of darkness because you'd blow them out before you even saw them. So you would just hope that they might be a little bit closer to where the last point you could get to at dark but again they weren't and then they fed out into this open sa- or this tall sagebrush where you never could see them they could walk 100 yards into that sagebrush or two miles in that and you would never see them that's how tall i mean there hasn't been a fire in this area probably ever it's 10 foot tall sagebrush so when i come back to camp and me and alex were sitting there i asked them. i said uh do you have to go back tonight do you have anything pressing? Don't underdramatize this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this, this you, you tell the,
3: the story. <laughs> this, this, this was a defining moment in the hunt and maybe one of the worst sentences I ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, Clay said, "What do you got to do today?" And we were supposed to go home. We'd been there a long. You know, we'd been there a week. And I said, "Well, I gotta want to get this deer to the taxidermist, and I want to get you know the meat to the butcher." Why? And he goes. I need one more hunt. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So you was, guys were going to leave? Oh, well, we were supposed to leave. We were, we were due to leave Monday morning. It was kind of like, you know, we, we had a, we had taken uh, Clinton or uh, clay and I had taken Thursday Friday. I'm sorry. Clay had taken Thursday, Friday, Monday in the weekend, obviously. And I had taken Friday, Monday and uh, Clinton as well. So, the plan was Monday morning. If we needed to be there that long, that was it. You know, we'd hunt Monday morning, then you'd clean up camp and drive back to Reno. You know, and, and wash everything up and all that stuff, and and be done. And honestly, uh, I I was ready to go home. You know, deer or not. You know, you know. Obviously, I I, I was still uh, on a, on an epic high from harvesting the deer that I harvest. But I was ready to go home. Uh, you know, the, a little behind the scenes, you know, kind of story is my allergies somehow reared their their head um, when we nasty got that. Nasty, nasty. If you if you see the pictures of of me, one picture I'm normal, and the next picture my eye looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger from Predator because I don't know if a deer hair got in there or something, but my whole face swelled up, my eye swelled up. Um, you know, I was I was miserable. You know, I was eating Benadryl like they were Tic Tacs and tried to wash my face and you know just everything I could do to try and get it off me and I I couldn't so uh you know I definitely had that Monday morning hunt in me and 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 when it didn't work out you know it was you know you feel that bitter uh kind of sweet like hey well sorry Clay but I'm going home you know that's what I originally thought and I remember he was sitting on that camp chair and he just looked at me and he goes what do you got to do today and I was like this guy's I, know out, a I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I'm sitting
4: home. in the camp chair, hot. You know, it's still 100 degrees out there, and now I'm just in my shorts, sitting in my camp. It's I'm no shirt, lean back in the camp chair, and I look at Alex. You got anything to do today? <laughs> uh, do you got to get to work, or do you just have to be to work tomorrow morning at eight? And he said, uh, "Just work tomorrow." <laughs> and I said, "Well, do you mind if we stay one more hunt? I'd need one more hunt." And he says. Uh, well, oh dear, those do. I'm like, no, I got plenty of ice. Let's do it. He yeah. said, okay.
3: We're, we're three. Uh, we're three hours from town, and Clint had gone through it the night before because he stayed till after we got mine and, and everything. So, you know, you know, sun goes down at eight thirty or whatever. You know, that hunt would have been over if you did not harvest him at eight thirty, which means we're not leaving there till nine or nine fifteen or so. And then you got a three hour drive ahead of you and you, know, you got to get up and go to work the morning. So it was definitely like a, yeah, I'm going to take one for the team type deal right now. And I don't care about having cell service or not having cell service or any of that stuff, but you know, you've been away from the world for a week and uh, business runs. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got work and you got family and you got all that stuff, but it was like, it's so heartbreaking to be 80 yards or 100 yards from an animal like that or to hunt for five days and not be able to to get it put together. So it wasn't, you know, my truck was there. I could have told Clay Pound Sand and left or whatever. But, you know, it, it, part of being a, a partner in this deal, you know, just like Clint and everything the night before was, yeah, we're going to do it. You, wanna, you want one more go at him, we're going to give you one more go at him, you know.
4: Yeah, I kind of felt good because the night before when he killed his, like Clint said, we were getting up at 3.30 every morning to get out to where we needed to get. And I I worked on Alex's deer till 1.30 in the morning, that Monday morning, and got back up at three thirty to get to my spot. So I kinda had hopes that he would say yes. But but when he said yes, now it's there's nothing during the day that you can do. And it's only eight o'clock in the morning when this is all going down. I knew I'm waiting five uh, nine more hours sitting in camp doing nothing until this next my next hunt. That night was going to happen, and it was a long nine hours.
3: Oh yeah, that's a, I was going to say is it's a. It's not that like you you can go hunt you know right then you know eat some breakfast and head back out in, in the in the heat of the summer archery hunting you get your morning hunt and your afternoon hunt and that's it. I mean you there's no reason to be out beating the brush up at it, noon
4: unless you see him lay down and, and then you can put a stock on him in the wind or something. But where not we possible were at here, yeah, ten foot sagebrush. So this, you don't this
0: know. deer is. 24 hours later, these bucks just happened to be in the same location that the one just died in the night before? Or was it 48 hours later?
3: No, no, no. It was was 24 hours, but they were not in the same – they were in the area of. But, you know, that's probably maybe one of the cool things about archery hunting is they don't have the mental capacity to know that – you know, a gun didn't go off next to him. Just one of their buddies isn't there anymore. He just went
0: and laid down somewhere.
3: Yeah. He's just not, maybe he walked off, maybe he, he, whatever, but you know, they, they, they definitely were not spooked even that evening. You know, you, you, uh, you, 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 you could be around them at that distance. You know, you could be at that, you know, where you could get to three or 400 yards away from them. And I think they would go on about their natural business, so to speak, um, you know, and, and you didn't hear that big bang of a rifle or anything go off and we didn't stir him up. So yeah, I mean, they were in that same area. They were in that same area that morning, you know, like I guess he was, again, he sat a hundred yards away from him or something like that, you know, again for another two or three hours until they went and bedded down. And, and that's, what's so frustrating and heartbreaking about it. And that's what those five days were so hard was because we were close to him. You know, you, you, you got back to camp every day, every morning and every afternoon going, if I had a rifle tag, it'd be over. We, we, I don't, I couldn't tell you how many times we said that if I had a rifle tag, this would be done. I was, I was 120 yards from that guy. And
0: so then the, so then the, the evening comes and the deer are, are you guys have them patterned because you've obviously have already had success on one of them. And were you guys in the same, in the same vicinity as when Alex killed his?
3: Oh yeah.
4: Yeah. We were right there. It was, they were all running together. These 15 bucks were running together, and they, like you're saying, they didn't get scared enough to move completely out but of the But you country. guys were
0: in the same spot that you pulled your bow back. You drew your yes. bow back oh, the yeah. same. So you guys have some high sagebrush to hide in. You get in a position, and now this deer that Clay talked about a couple weeks before this being a 180 after he found him in the mountains, yours was 195, his was going to be a 180, ends up being um, 20 inches or so bigger than that um there was definitely
4: he, ground growage yeah.
0: so this deer just makes a mistake too that now this real mature this real mature mule deer because a 200 inch mule deer with a bow is truly a, uh, especially a typical is truly a once in a lifetime deer right les i mean uh, you don't hear of even with a rifle a 200 inch mule deer is a trophy right
1: yes yeah i mean i've hunted a lot of deer and i've never killed a 200 hey you're y- y- your
3: father pushed this deer towards clay i i, I don't know i mean i don 't know that that sounds corny and, and everything, but that that deer separated himself from the herd and by himself came to clay, which to me is like the craziest thing when I killed mine, there was t- twenty other deer with him, you know he followed some does over there, did something stupid. like you
4: you at a bar on a friday night exactly i could (laughs) I, i could see this deer once we saw him come back out from the tall sagebrush i saw him for two hours and i couldn't do anything about it and sitting there i was just talking to my dad talking to him and like say corny or what but when you talk to him it happened. It, I mean, it happened, and it got to seventeen yards. And he didn't. He didn't feed over there. He didn't no. chase a doe over there.
0: I would have made something up, like you know, like a like, call, like called him yeah. in. Yeah, that's what he should have said. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he wasn't over was... there snort wheezing
3: or doing any of that stuff. He, he sat there quietly and that deer for. And it was the craziest thing because he he walked over with his head up. Like I said, I don't think he ate one never one thing. He didn't stop at a sagebrush. He didn't do anything. He walked right over to
4: Clay, 17 yards. So you
0: put the 20-yard pin on him. It's the same combination of a Matthews tree axe with a Rage Broadhead, right? Yep. Yep. And 17 yards, you're breathing. I'm sure you're about to just fall over and faint, right? This is the biggest deer that that any of us have ever seen in the crosshairs, in this case, a bow
4: sight. When when I pulled back, he, he walked in front of me behind some stuff, and I and I drew, and he walked past me, and I was holding there for what seemed like 10 minutes, but it was probably only 30 seconds before he turned around. And I was thinking to myself, should I let down or and redraw or just hold it? And I held it, thank God. And he came back, and I had to move one little bit to position myself to get a shot on him. And he turned from face and straight, you know, perpendicular to me to stay in there body-wise, but just turned his head right at me with that little movement. And he was looking at me when I shot him. And it goes back to that, it's just a forking horn. Ah, you know, just a stinking fork and horn. Shoot him and call but it But that's death.
0: a good way to think about it. The other thing that you guys bring up is this idea of um, blowing deer out of the country, making a mistake and, and making them relocate, which I've seen that happen with yeah. deer. And I've always heard, you know, you always hear that wild animals have short-term memories I've always, and I'm not a big game hunter per se anymore, but I grew up big game hunting and being around a lot of big game hunters, and I've always been told that that the deer species, well, you know, whitetail as well, but the mule deer is a very, very smart animal, and it's probably the most difficult and most sought after trophy in North America, if not one of them. Right, Les? It a is a trophy mule deer. A yeah. 180 to a 200 is a, a-, a
1: trophy. A, a, a bookhead, a hide or a you know good bookhead, uh, a mule deer. Is a very difficult thing to do. It was so difficult that the the uh, requirements at one time was a one ninety five, and Boone and Crockett moved it down to one ninety because they weren't getting anything in the book. It wasn't because the big ones weren't there; they're just hard to come by,
0: and they're hard they're hard to hunt. I mean, they they're live in places that are hard to get hunt. on them, especially with a bow.
3: Yeah, uh, that's what the, these these two deer did nothing alike. You know, like I said, you could. You could watch. There was a several bucks, and there was a there was a very nice four by three. We could have got him every day. There was a three point that ran with him. You could have got, got him four every points. day. There was, you know, there was, and there was like a there was a cool little uh, stag, you know, that had like stuff going everywhere, and you you could have got him every day. I mean, but the, the, the big ones did something different every day. And that's what I said is like when Clay got his, he did something that he'd never done the whole time we were there. He never was by himself. He was always around his does or his group or whatever. He he went by himself. You know the the day that I killed mine, they did something that they had never done before. They had done it in a in a way, but never you know done the same. You could you could never say all right, they're gonna jump that fence post at five oh one, and you could count your watch to that. You know it was it and it was huge differences. You know I remember thinking. At one point, we, we we snuck our way all the way through this uh, creek bottom where Clay had seen them go through this creek once, I had seen them go through this creek once, and it was almost like they're going to go through this creek. And on day three, they don't even come anywhere near the creek. It was like just every day was something different with the big ones. And you know
0: and, what's cool about that kind of a hunt is that a lot of the, the theories that people derive or the the approach that deer hunters derive and especially in the Midwest and the South southern part of the state and whitetail hunting is by the use of trail cameras well you're not going to go and put trail cameras on every piece of sagebrush or just guess where to put them on public property in the state of Nevada. I'm not saying that trail cameras can't come in handy in Western big game hunting because I know a lot of people using them to their benefit and success. Yeah. But and in this case, ca- in this I case, them in, Nevada in this case, you're relying on Leopold, and I and I'm not just saying Leupold for a reason. I'm going somewhere with Leupold. Is I want to when you sit down and you understand that these deer in the area as an archery hunter, are you guys taking a rangefinder and and scoping a, a bush here and a bush here and a stump here and a rock? Here, that if this deer gets to here, I know that I got to use my 40 yard pin. Or are you disciplined enough that when he gets there, you pick up that range? Are you just guessing that he's 40 yards, or are these range finders really utilized out west like they are in whitetail hunting?
3: Well, I think a really experienced guy can do exactly what you just said, and I think we all did that. You know, you would range things, but um, that was, you know, Clint, and much like my tag a few years ago, is it it's really nice to have that second guy with you. Because they can shoot that range for you, you know. Because I, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not a expert at shooting it, and you know. So pretty
0: much, you've given all the credit to Clint. He's responsible for the death of these deer. Besides clay finding them, let's come back to that here in a couple stories.
3: Clint did not give me the range on the one I killed because he was at like ten yards. I didn't need it. (laughs) However. He would have if I needed it, but no, that's probably would have been wrong, right? (laughs) For, for my, uh, for me, it's just more that it's one less thing that you got to do. You know, I think that the, the, the guys that sit in a tree stand, which is, is, I'm not knocking that, but you've got a little bit more time to think about, you know, that tree's at 20, that tree's at 25. When you spot and stock. Uh, or, you know, when you're, when you're moving, you don't really get that opportunity because maybe you sat there, but maybe you had to get up and, and, and move, you know, adjust by 10 yards and, and then you would have to try and shoot all those again, which you can't really do, you know? So you've either got to do it yourself real quick or just trust your instinct that what 20 well, and 30 and 40 exactly. Like.
4: That's, that's what going back to practicing yeah. com, comes into play. Cause I, I do that myself is I'll practice the 20, 30, 40, 50 yards and then, you know i'll walk and change my distances and then turn around and shoot with nothing and just eyeball it and guess and if i you know practice so okay i missed it by two yards i shot high or whatever and do that routinely to where when you're out there you can hopefully be trained enough to go in your oh that's 25 yards that's 35 yards whatever by just looking at it um but typically that's what would happen. You, you sit down and you would. That's range, I would r- range, I mean, range your stuff, and then hopefully
0: I even do that in duck hunting. I mean, I range. I do. I range decoys. Like if I get right. them this tight. They're at 20 yards, but if they're on the outside of the decoy spread, I know I can still call the shot because they're at 30 yards or whatever, right? If you um, listened earlier, I black out during the, the, the moment <laughs> yeah, and, and of Yeah, and also so you, I could tell you what it is. <laughs> also, I kind of got the, the notion that you were kind of a little pity party. I'm going to eat tag soup again. So now you go from prying in your camo backpack and on your binocular Leopold's, <laughs> Leopold's to now 48 hours later, you have 201.
4: Yeah, we didn't say that. When I walked up to my dad... D- the deer, two hundred and one inches. two hundred one and two eighths, it which is a world class deer of a
0: lifetime. Less has even a- said Absolutely. Now. So now you have two hundred and one plus one ninety six, two hundred one one ninety six, two hundred one one ninety six, seven, two hundred one one ninety six, three hundred and ninety seven and change inches. Yes, Chad. of bone of 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 um, antler bone, and now you have. Three hundred and ninety-seven inches within the 40, hours after you were having a pity party and crying, and your beard was all wet with tears. Now that just <laughs> shows you that persistence, perseverance, quality—you uh, know, positive thinking—how far that gets you. You know, talking to people and and reinforcing the fact that you, it's never over until Crosby's girlfriend sings. No offense, Pinocchio, but other th- if you're thinking about that to the way of you that was a not, that was a joke crosby i know that she's got an unbelievable body um is, is that even better <laughs> I know, I know. trust me dude i know <laughs> i know from experience dude i hope her dad hears this little dago is he a dago i don't know yeah
3: i think so is he um, his his name ends in a vowel, so Pinocchio. i believe that's a...
0: um so if you you have that much bone and now next on the the calendar the Nevada season's off to a bang. I mean, you—I haven't—I've been around Nevada my entire life, and I haven't heard of f- almost 400 inches of bone and mule deer hunting being being done by two guys in a season, let alone 48 hours. And now we move and with on, a bow, and yeah, with an archery with an archery tag. So now we move on to Mister, uh, you know. North American, Hall of Famer, um, World Slam himself, 77. I always say his age because I think it's freaking amazing that he can freaking scour an 11,000-foot mountain last year and kill a desert sheep at 76 years old. So this year he bites off a Thule or a Roosevelt? A Thule elk. A Tule elk yeah. in California. And now
1: this is an elk that you haven't killed or you have before? I, I had one, but I, I was looking for... What, what... You got to make excuses to keep going. <laughs> so what was this excuse last? I needed a little prettier one. Prettier you know, one, bigger, prettier, whatever.
4: <laughs> so you 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 have this
0: tag in California and this is a rifle hunt. It's a yeah.
1: rifle hunt. You you don't draw the tag. You have to a uh, tule elk are very limited to the coast in California. Um uh, I was hunting up near a town called Laytonville, which is they don't go much farther north than that, they, and they go down. Uh, and you, you have to go to uh, private land. You have to buy a tag. Uh, and I had met a guy last year um, that uh, uh, this. His name is Carrie Jel- uh Carrie Jellison. Is this a shameless plug? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. And because he he might he wants me to come back and help on a hunt with him here pretty quick. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> it's Carrie. Carrie jealous and it's G and G and J Outfitters. G and J Out. Do you need some
0: glasses to read yeah, your I phone? I do. I do. <laughs> hey,
3: I don't want to pass over this, but Les's driver's license might say seventy-seven, but his legs say forty-five. <laughs> What's going on? Which legs? I can see only right one over here. <laughs> oh, really?
0: <laughs> but anyway, uh, so did you, have you know to- that? Did you know that uh, Kirk Nesbitt is Les Nesbitt's son? the world renowned dog trainer. Yeah. He's, oh. he's, he's the son of Les Nesbitt. <laughs> all right. Sorry, Les. Uh, Alex rudely interrupted your That's story. All
1: right. But anyway, you you have to purchase a tag as a landowner tag. Um, and I had, I had talked with Kerry, and, and we kind of made a deal and went over there and, and, uh, and hunted. And I'd met him once before. Maybe he's, he hunt, he guides in Nevada all the time. Uh, so i'd met him out in the field several times got along with him pretty well so we talked so anyway i made a deal to go over with him and hunt these tule elk and uh, it, i've hunted a fair amount of elk and you've seen the elk in my house they're not slouches they're nice elk yeah you've killed a couple 400 inches well that's a different species of elk yeah it's a different species of elk. but <clears throat> these tule elk are um they're notorious for breaking their horns too, and and we were getting right into the rut. They, you know, I don't want to take a lot of your time up, but um, on the all the elk hunts I've been on, this was this was the mo- this was the most interesting. Elk. I literally had a, a seven by six bull ten feet from me bugling for two or three minutes. And there were three other ones that were coming up, but they didn't come up as close as him. And I actually have them on video. But uh, And I was seeing elk all over the place, uh, I was supposed to hunt, start hunting on whatever day it was. Uh, uh, somebody, his first hunter had, was a bow hunter and uh, harvested a uh, an elk in the first part of August. Um, and he, he was there a little early. But so... They started rutting. He called me because I was the next hunter, so I went over there, I don't know, four or five days early. And I got there at noon by that evening at 5 o'clock. I'm out 80 yards from a pretty nice bull, um, and he's bugling. And I've got 20 elk within 80 yards of me, just milling around and bugling. And we were behind an old stump, and they didn't know we were there. And uh, uh Kerry had been bugling them himself and bringing them in, and they're just all over the place. But they're they're bugling 80 yards from me. I could have, and it was a nice bull. But it was the first day there. and You know, you never want to pass up on the first day what you would, you know, maybe want to shoot on the last day. But it was a nice elk. But I, I thought we could maybe do a little bit better. And obviously would. One of the reasons on those ranches, you got the hunter there that's been there. He knows what's there and what's going to come into there. Uh, you know, the Tule elk, uh, and this is not. A, this is a seventeen thousand acre ranch. It's called the Shamrock Ranch, right on right on Highway One Hundred One, and uh, there's a pretty good herd of cows that are in there, and they stay in there most of the year. But the bulls start moving in. They come in. They come in from other ranches uh, and in areas, and they're up in the mountains. But they'll they'll come down. It's not like honey elk in Nevada. Uh, there's there's a lot of the, the timber like you get on the coast, but there's a lot of open open areas, and there's none of those giant steep mountains where you get on one ridge shooting to the next ridge. Uh, that wasn't the case in any of it. Most of it we. It was, without a doubt, the easiest hunt that I trained for for th- three months. I mean, it was really sim- physically simple. Uh, and we were seeing bulls every day, and the farther we, the farther it kept going, the more bulls were coming down, the more they were bugling. But what we started seeing is you'd, you'd, these bulls would be coming in there, and you'd look at them, and there'd be a couple of them. The next day, you'd go out and look at them again, and— three or four of their points are broken off because they're fighting like hell. And like I said, Tule elk are notorious for breaking points. Well, um,
0: so, <laughs> is their horn softer than a, a Rocky Mountain elk or something? I or? don't
1: know. I don't know what it is. I, I don't think so. I, I think it may They just, just fight the, more or what? It could be that they fight more or something, but they're... they're or it's <laughs> that
2: vegetarian diet in California. <laughs>
1: it could be. It could, or it could be the political correct part of they it. They don't, the don't use straws. <laughs> they don't? No. Elk don't? <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh as many elk as I've hunted. I've never hunted where it was more fun, where it was more fun than I could watch them bugle and fight. And and this is all within. Hundred fifty, three hundred, four hundred yards. We we're watching them.
0: And we had we had teamed up with Savage on this hunt. Also, you're shooting a three hundred caliber. Yeah. What grain are you? Are you 180,
1: are, 180, uh grain on the
0: Federal Premium. And, yeah. And so now these guys say that it's like riding a bike. Were you like making sure that you had this thing sighted in with the ammo that you're going to hunt with, I, or I, were you already so
1: comfortable with the gun I, that you had that I sighted in? I, I spent a lot of time at the range, and I've been shooting this particular caliber for. 25 years and uh this elk that i killed was his 27th straight animal i've killed with that gun wow Uh, a couple of them i've had to hit a follow-up shot but they've all been pretty much you know animals down and i put a second second i did not use it on the big bears i used a, a little different gun but uh
0: so so now you said, I've seen the elk on your wall that are the Rocky Mountain species. You've killed those. Your biggest one was in the state of Nevada, or was it Arizona? Yeah, no. It, it was in Nevada. In, in, in Nevada. Nevada, we have some big-ass elk. Some big elk. We have some big-ass elk. Yeah. Um, so-
1: And I killed some big ones in Utah.
0: Tule elk don't get that big, though, right? No, they don't. What's, it, a, what's it, a book elk for Tule? It's uh,
1: 200, 285. Uh, uh, so okay. you didn't make book?
0: Yeah. What?
1: I just barely made the book. You did with this one. Yeah,
0: I thought yours was two seventy nine. It wasn't. No,
1: no, it was two. It takes two eighty five. I was two eighty six.
0: You made it. You so you're in the book again for a Tulio now. Well,
1: I got to wait sixty days. You got a drying period. Yeah, I got a drying period, and I'm only an inch or so, so it may shrink out. And if it does, I don't really care. But
0: that's a that's a hell of a Tulio.
1: Yeah, it's a good Tulio.
3: Nets are for fish. You got it. Two nine two eighty six. You're there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but what I'm saying though is that. Do they get way bigger than this?
1: Yeah. Kerry uh, uh, sent me uh, a picture uh, of a guy that uh, came in three days after me and killed a 309. But they'll get up to the three fifties, three sixties in some areas. In some areas, in you this know.
0: area of California, they don't.
1: They could have. It just are they
0: in Oregon too, or is this no, as far no. north as they? They're only in the state of only California. In
1: California on the coast,
0: not Washington, not Oregon, no. not 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 Massachusetts, no. No. not North Carolina.
1: You know, Roosevelt elk are scored the same way. Up. Like when you're scoring deer, for example, uh, well, deer's not a, a Rocky Mountain elk. You have say you have seven points, uh, and uh, you you uh, you measure each point. Say one's ten inches, one's twelve inches. You get you lose that. You lose you lose lose scores for uh, the difference. But with the Tule Elk and Roosevelt Elk, you score the first four points, uh, and and the two the two points need to be the same, or you start losing. You know the, the if you don't have the symmetry. But after the 4th point, on the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, I can have one here that's 10 inches, and I can have one here that's 4 inches, and there's no deduct. There's no deduct. There's no deduct on a Roosevelt and so a So it two. really is
0: a net. There really is no net. It's all. It's a gross score. Well,
1: it is, but you still have the, the, the circumferences, and you have the first points. So, so you don't lose so much with... Um, it's half net, half gross. Yeah, <laughs> I guess
3: you could say that. Do you know yeah. why Why don't you have to measure those?
1: Because a Thule and Roosevelt, palmate at the top, uh, and, and, uh, the top a, 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 a really representative of a Thule out. He may have three or four points right at the top all together in a cluster. Like a red stag. Exactly, oh, yeah. exactly.
0: So... We're going to eat this elk tonight. Yes. We're going to eat some back. It better be backstrap.
1: Yes. 10 and gallon. some whitetail. Oh, oh tonight. I white brought tail some whitetail, too. So My, my here, freezer, you, my free, I brought my elk in my freezer. It's plumb full. So I had to bring you guys you. a lot
0: of meat because uh, you do all my cooking. <laughs> so you have, uh, are you doing your annual
1: trip to Kansas for more whitetail you're? I, I was, so? uh, well, I was talking to your brother about that <laughs> earlier. And I said, okay, guys, it cost me fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars 1800 to go down there and shoot this My year's supply of meat. But I've got my year supply of meat now. And now, if you want to, you know, buy me an airplane ticket.
0: You You, no, you all could. You you take care of that part. You got more money than God.
1: Uh, But but your brother said it. We made a deal. He said that was okay. That you know. Huh. No, I said that only if you take me with you, and then we can oh. double up on this stuff. Oh, right. so, so, I, I was, but you were probably seeing all
4: so the So now way. if you do the math... I was just going to say, Chad, let's see if you can do this math. 397 plus two sixty-three hundred ninety-seven
0: 397 plus 397 286. plus 286, 97, six, What's he doing? 683?
1: I don't know what six, you're talking
0: 663? about. 663? So how many total inches of bone do we have on the ground now? You got his oh, deer, his oh, deer, oh. and your elk. I don't know. What's 397 plus... 286. 683? Did I get it? 683? Six, well, you carry the. I think it's 683 inches.
2: You got it, Bob. You see that right
0: there? So now, three successful hunts. Now you can move into the state of Nevada. Wait, go ahead, Les. I saw you look at his name again. What's the guy's name? No, no, no. no, I, no. Was,
1: I was, I was going st- to start
0: adding up your numbers. No, I want you to tell his name. I want to say thank oh, you very much to this guy for okay. taking my grandpa hunting. <laughs>
1: Well, let me
4: get him back. Here. Thanks, Grandpa.
1: Yeah. His name is... Let me put up my glasses so I can get it right. You want yeah, his phone pro- number? You're, you're <laughs> probably freaking
0: mispronouncing his... Yeah, if you want to kill a nice Tule Elk, will you please call...
1: G and J Outfitters. J and J and K Outfitters. G and J. G
0: and J Outfitters.
1: Okay. Carrie Jellison.
0: Carrie Jellison. Yeah,
1: you want his
0: telephone number? Well, you can. No, probably not. That might be a cell, but look up yeah. G and J Outfitters, California, Thule Elk, extraordinaires and i mean thank you guys for getting less on that that bull 286 inches he's in the book now and he added another uh, year supply of meat for all of us we live about four miles apart and less supplies a lot of our meat for our uh, our game feeds and our weekly dinners we always have a lot of people around our houses cooking wild game living off the land and and now we get to share one mule deer two mule deer and uh, elk so far and that takes us into oh crosby's got something to say
3: i, I I just didn't, uh I was noticing in the refrigerator his elk thawing out in there or whatever it's doing and the, the packaging said flank is that the same as backstrap I'd never really no I, the flank is the butcher
0: oh the flank is flank is the butcher's name oh butcher gotcha, butcher gotcha, it's gotcha. It, it, that L was an R it's oh. frank Plank. but It better not be flanks, Dave. I
1: don't know what oh, it is. It's, I, you know how I much could,
0: I know about cooking. I could see him freaking just putting a bunch of stew meat, and put your meat. in the freaking butcher paper.
1: I have some stew meat. but Les, I've
0: never seen a tenderloin cut up like this.
1: <laughs> All the tendons are tenderloin. I, and I do, have, I do have two roasts I had to make. My plan was to bring the roast over, but with the understanding when you cook them, you invite me to dinner. I, can,
0: I make a good roast. And an au jus. So now you got California represented, you got Nevada represented archery mule deer. Now we move into Pronghorn, Rifle, which is some of my favorite big game hunting in my life, has been chasing antelope. Uh, i've been lucky enough to harvest a few good antelope and we have a niece named emma who is clint's stepdaughter she's 21 years old or 22 never killed an animal in her life maybe been on a coyote hunt maybe 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 i'm wrong on the harvest part of it but it's definitely her first big game animal that she's hunted and she does she's running out of time with her work schedule she calls uncle clay says hey clint's on his or his rifle antelope hunt Crosby is working a big special event with it with his company in transportation and clay says yeah Let's go, but I only got a day and a half to do it because we're behind on a lot of stuff with our brands and lo and behold clay you take her up 21 year old girl and Shooting a what what caliber savage is she shooting
4: 243 85 grain bullet
0: 243 federal premium? 243 um grain uh how eighty five grains, two two forty-three is the caliber. And the reason I keep saying that is because these combinations work. There's no doubt about it. If you have something that works, you stick with it. Right now it's Savage and Federal Premium, or the Matthews Axe with the, the Rage broad, Broadheads. And if you if you're not paying attention, I did the math. We're at 680. 83 inches before we even add in the next two animals, which has all happened again in the last 25, 35 days, which is amazing to me. So now you have Emma. She's got an antelope at, and and we don't have a lot of time left because I'm serious. The Traeger's heated up right now. We got about 15 minutes left of the podcast. She gets on this antelope. It's one of the only ones you've seen during the day, or you, they were they were abundant.
4: I called our uncle Mel the day before. Badger balls? Was it Badger, badger balls. Nuts? Badger, badger nuts. nuts badger man. nuts. Uh, the day before the season, cause I hadn't been in this country where you actually killed your deer 15 years ago in 34, 32. And I called him cause I hadn't been in that country since then and asking him if he had seen or heard of any antelope. And he said, actually the exact opposite. I'm hearing that a lot of people are having a hard time seeing anything in there. Um, so good luck. So I went up there knowing some areas that I wanted to hit. And a uh, day and a half later, it happened. I mean, it, it, like you're saying, quick, trying to make it quick, but Emma was a rock star for two days. We walked forever, and I put her through the ringer, and she, she hung up with me um, the whole time on her first big game hunt. It was awesome to see what she was uh, accomplished, and we put an awesome stock once we saw these antelope, and I was kind of frustrated because I thought they, they took the back door on us, but I... I saw a spot where it was blind to me and i said well i'm gonna go look at that spot one time before i walk back and sure enough they were down in this this uh draw and we got up to 226 and emma calm as ever got down got on the sticks i said all right you're sighted in for 200 put it right on them don't need to hold don't do nothing put it on 200 don't do anything don't don't do anything and 200 and it was over it was awesome and Tears started falling. He she too. cried. Yeah, Claire so so, cried. So I, cried. I, I cried. cried. I cried. I was awesome to be a part of because, like you're saying, you know, Clint couldn't go, Alice couldn't go, anybody could go. And actually, Heather called me and said, "Will you please take Emma? Because this is her first tag, and I don't want it to go to waste. And uh, will you please take her?" And it was it was my pleasure to take her.
3: I love that you remember the yardage. It's just that's something that I you know I always that's remember. My too. Dad, that was know, dad. That's my dad too. I, I shot a deer. He would take his way finger back in and the spit on it, huh, and
0: write <laughs> it on yeah. the dust on the winch or on the dashboard.
3: Yeah, my dad would just remember. He, 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 oh, I remember you shot that deer at three hundred ninety-three yards, and I'm like, no, but yes,
4: I do. Yeah, two twenty-six. <laughs> we both started crying. Have Took you put a tape on it yet? Seventy-two.
0: Seventy-two. That's a badass goat. My first goat was seventy-four, so she matches that pretty much. Which is a, it's a book. I mean, it's not a book yet, but it's, it's a Nevada, trophy. Nevada. I think Nevada book is 76, 78. 78,
4: that's right. Yeah. 78. It was not a bookhead, but for her first
0: it's time. A it's, it's a beautiful antelope. It has inch,
4: it has like inch ivory tips on it. It's really pretty heart shape. Is and it yeah, heart? yeah, really pretty. And she was ecstatic. And I had you'll be proud of me less i i gutted it out right there and i knew she wanted to was going to get it mounted and so i picked it up on my shoulders and walked out two miles with it good it boy stop Good. i only boy. had to stop twice so i i felt pretty good i felt pretty good two miles i, I hiked it out 683 plus 72 Jen. 70, 683
0: 72 755
4: 755 crosby so anyway, um, 755 inches of bone in 25 days. So we get yeah. back to town 755. with 755 inches. That's right. We've sailed on the market. Alex and Clint were on his hunt, like you were saying, through Labor Day, right? Monday? Yes. And this season for Clint ended on a Friday, and he was done on Monday, that Labor Day. And so what
0: happens? I get another phone call. Um, you know, or I get a text from Clint. You know, um, me and Clay, it's Wednesday. Me and Clay were talking about maybe, you know, going hunting tomorrow. And I'm thinking, dude, This is getting old right Emma's needs help this and this you guys have taken off like 40 days already to freaking scout and do all this shit and now Clint's going I'm thinking I and then I said we got too much to do I'm sorry and then I started thinking Clint's doing all this work for everybody he's helping him scout he's helping them get on these hunts he's sure he injured himself for his archery hunt so I'm like yeah go 14 do 14
4: years of waiting for another tag.
0: last day of the season and I said go do it and Clint's like well it's probably just a, a waste of time it's a shot in the dark this this antelope that I want is so impossible to get on on. And and then I'm I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and it's dark and I haven't heard nothing. I text my sister in law Heather Clint's wife and I'm like, you hear anything? She's like, nope. And then um, I get a picture from Clint saying. Last night made it happen, and I'm like, holy shit. And here's the story about this real quick, and I'll let Clint finish the story, is that we were talking with a buddy named Todd on a group text the week before when Clint found this antelope, and he found him in a really remote location of this unit where there's no access to it, and he sent the picture out, and I'm like, damn, that's a good goat. And Todd doesn't respond. Todd doesn't know how to spell, let alone type. So I'm like waiting for something, coming back like, uh, is somebody going to solidify the fact that this is a good goat? So I said, he's a pig. And I said, he's 83 to 85 off these pictures. And Clint goes, no, I'm thinking 78 or 79, maybe 78, 79, Clint says. And then when he when he sends me the, the harvest picture, I was like, holy smokes on this. First thing I noticed, Clint, is the snout on the antelope. It just looked like a, not a mutant, but like a very, very, like a horse almost. Yeah. Did you guys picture? I mean, it looked like a horse head almost.
3: Let me interject because I think it's funny. The, the night that he got it, I felt the same thing you felt because I knew they were out hunting and I had actually chatted with them in the morning on text and they said, we're waiting this thing out. or They didn't know what they were going to do, but it was either go home empty-handed or wait this thing out. And then I didn't want to text them because I'd be afraid that they were sneaking in on something. But as soon as the sun went down, I texted them just, well, question mark, and Clint called me and he was huffing and puffing back up the mountain and was like... <laughs> we got it done we got you know he hadn't even i don't even think he'd even touched it yet but i just it was funny we went through the same you know kind of deal yeah and i think that
0: that was what i was going through is like man can you imagine if it happens like the 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 timing of it like a lot of guys will go out with a rifle tag and shoot the first antelope they see but when you live in the state of nevada and you have a chance to kill a big antelope and then when you get this idea that you're going to chase this one antelope they there could have said gave up on him and went to a little bit better area, more uh, area that had a few more pronghorn in it, but Clint wanted this goat, and I, I, I don't want to give up the inches yet, but I guessed him at 83 to 86. The story is really cool to the fact that you guys blew him out at 6 in the morning or 6.30 in the morning, right?
2: Well, yeah, just to back up a little bit, you have 16 days to hunt. I think this is an important part of the story. And it starts on a Wednesday and ends on a Friday. So effectively, for somebody who has a job, you've got two weekends. And uh, Crosby and I, we had hunted a different area. We, had, we hunted a different area. We hunted hard. We found decent antelope, nothing special. And we had to relocate. And we got into this area not knowing if we'd even see antelope. We'd heard stories about de- this decent antelope in this area and it is a it's a just a tough, tough area to g- even get into a lot of hiking I mean most guys that that hunt antelope this was nothing like an antelope hunt. this was really, and I've been on some really neat hunts, but and it's it's fresh in my mind, and that's probably skewed it a little bit, but it really is I think it's going to go down at least at this point in my life as one of the hardest, most rewarding hunts that i've ever been on it, me me harvesting or one of my friends harvesting it was it was a very rewarding hunt. Not Just just this animal was just unbelievable. So rewind the clock. We hunted a different area. We, we, we had to switch. And we went basically after what ended up being called the ghost. Our good buddy Kent had, had hunted this area and thought possibly there was this antelope in this area. And he said, I don't know because you're going to go in there and you're going to be hunting a ghost. Not tagging him the name ghost at the time, but it kind of stuck in my brain because when we got up there, as luck would have it, the very first morning, we found this antelope. We have, we have three days. This is Labor Day weekend. We've got three days to hunt, just me and Alex. And we find this antelope. And we look at him from a long ways away into the sun. And he's a decent antelope. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, we both agreed he's good, but there's probably something bigger. This, this isn't him. This isn't quite days, the one yeah. we're looking for. Let's, let's hunt around a little bit. Huge mistake. Well... It was a huge mistake in the end, but
3: we hunted and well, we hunted. Les and hunted. said it earlier. Don't ever pass up something that on the first day you take on the last. Well, and
2: we, but but we did misjudge, them. and that is one thing I think a lot of people will tell you. And I'm not an expert at, at antelope hunting, but it's probably the hardest antelope to judge in the field. I think Absolutely. most people would tell you that um, sheep are tough, but it's a tough antelope. I mean, that's the thing is that this thing has been scored anywhere from seventy-seven to eighty-six.
1: They're very uh, they're very difficult. Very difficult. You got 86. heat. You got heat waves and and oh your, your uh, uh, diameter base and is what you're your they're really hard yeah, to judge. Yeah, it is it is. It's one just, of the it, toughest I've heard. You got to be it, within
0: 50 be. yards of them to judge them yeah. in the field.
1: And they, they everybody's got a different
2: different cue, you know. If you look at their nose and they're just all these different things. It's just a tough animal to score and we knew he was a decent antelope, but we thought we'd go after something something a little bit nicer. Come to find out, we saw this antelope that evening again. And this thing—it's not like an antelope, typical antelope hunt. He roams. He owns this mountain. This one antelope—he's got some small bucks that mess around with him and stuff. But he owns this mountain, and it's just one of those things. Not just the horn, not just the antelope, but it's like he's a trophy right away because if we can get this antelope, it's going to be unbelievable. He's—he's he's very difficult to hunt. We go—we hunt him for three days. We watch him do different things, and we can never get on him. And he starts to become not just the ghost that maybe we might find him. He is the ghost. We just cannot get on this antelope. Uh, We see him, can't get on him. Same story we hear from our buddy the year before. So we leave Monday. We do not have a chance at him. We never had a chance. We got to, I think, about 600 and some odd yards from him and couldn't close the distance because he moved. Well, we were at
3: 462 was okay.
2: that day he was laying in his bed. That was the closest we ever got to him was 462.
3: 46, oh, that's right. We got Which to
2: 462. Is... He, he, he surprised us. We went in kind of blind. That's a, that's a whole other story. We could spend a whole podcast on this hunt. I just thought it was such, what the neatest hunt. So I come back dejected, and this really goes back. I mean, there's morals to hunting, that you know life lessons that you're going to learn, but this is one where I, uh, I really learned quite a bit about myself. Um, and, and what it really means to go after something. I mean, it's been 2003 since I've had an antelope tag. It's a long time to wait for an antelope tag. I've turned two antelope tags in hoping to get this area, and I, uh, I finally get it. So I come back to work, and, I mean, I'm a physical therapist. I've got to concentrate on my patients, and I, I have a couple of tough days at work. Cause
0: so you broke an old lady's leg?
2: Well, I, I did an okay Whoops. job. Whoops. I didn't do as good a job as I could, basically, because I had my mind on this, on the Clint, ghost.
0: how are you doing that with both of your hands on my shoulder? <laughs>
2: wow. <Yeah. laughs>
0: I pelvic exam while <laughs> he's reading the paper.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, before these couple hard days, I think he... he text, I think that was Fletch, wasn't there? <laughs> He texts me... Captain Jellyfingers. <laughs> using the whole fist, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> How'd it go from hunting John to... John Cocktoastone? Oh, Stone? <laughs> Uh, Clint texts me last and was like, "Can you go?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Do you want to go? I, I probably can figure it out, you know." And he goes, "All right, let's go." And I was like, "Well, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm, whatever you want to do." And he goes, "Nah, it's it's, it's going to be a shit show. No, don't even worry about it." I said, "You got one day to do it. Let's go." And no, nope,
2: never mind, never mind. And then we went. So I I'm back to work. All I can think about is this antelope. So this is my season ends on Friday. Thursday is my only day I can potentially take a sick day. So we make it happen. Clay could go. He didn't play as big of a role as he'd he'd make you think. But uh, he was there. He was there. He had a spot in the scope and a pair of binoculars. So to the day of the hunt, we get to our spot, and we see this antelope right away. He's running with his 14 does, but it's before shooting hours and craziest thing. I go to this story, but we actually, for the first couple of hours of the morning, we hunted a group of does, no buck, but they went where this buck and 14 does went. And I think there was 13 does have to be his does, right? Where's the buck? Is he, is he hurt? Did he lay up on the Ridge? Did he run ahead of them? They're rutting. They're probably at the end of rut. He's hanging with his does. We never saw him without his does. And we spent two hours hunting the wrong does. So we walk off this mountain. uh, Just to give you an idea, Crosby and I did 12 miles on Saturday and 14 miles on Sunday. That's not a typical antelope hunt. We (laughs) walked our butts off. We hunted this mountain. So we went to where potentially we thought he went. And if you know antelope, if you know really any animal, they have an escape route. And we determined because we'd see him come up at the very end of the night that he had an escape route. We walked that direction. We went off the bench. And if it wasn't for Clay's sharp eyes, I do have to admit, I looked through this area. The does were out of sight. And just just as he put the binoculars up, here this antelope is. It's actually kind of running towards us. A mile and a half down the hill, but he's running towards us. It's like he kind of wanted to challenge us. There was a challenge. Just like the first day we saw him, Cross, you remember him come over that rim rock and he kinda of, almost like a bull, he kinda of, Got he's his, the stud, got his haunches you know? he, up and like, oh, really? You want to get what are you on the mountain? Here? Yeah. yeah, he just challenged us from the very beginning. Oh, this is 10:30. I believe it was 10:40 in the morning when we found this animal. We sat on him. Wind was blowing down the mountain, which is crazy, but it was blowing down the mountain. I looked at the forecast and I knew if we found him and hunted him the way we did the three days before, it wasn't going to work because the wind was completely opposite, and it was straight down the mountain, long ways away. He's running with his does. We can't get on him, but. In the back of my mind, I kept saying, well, for three nights in a row, we saw this animal basically, at least in the afternoon, come up the same way. Out of his escape route, and he would come and sleep on the top of the mountain somewhere. So I banked on that. We sat there all day, and I, said, I told Clay, I promise, he's going to come up here at some point in time. We watched this animal, which was a, a story within itself, watching animals behave for an entire day. We pretty much never went out of sight of him for 10 hours. I think it was 10 hours. Starting to get late, we're way off the other side of the mountain. We got to put a play on him. He's not going to do what we want him to do, unfortunately. So we have to put a play on him, and we go down off this mountain. And to our luck, the only thing that made it work was the sun or the uh, wind switched. It, had, it was just meant to be. The wind switched. It typically doesn't do that. It switches in the morning, but it switched in the in the evening time, and it actually started blowing up the mountain.
4: It was the wind and that little buck.
2: Well, yeah, there was a little buck running around. So we get we get to a spot where we think we want to get, and we're five hundred and some yards away from him. His does we we try we can get closer, but we're going to bust his does, and he disappears. So here's the end of the story. He disappears off the ridge, and we think this is perfect. He's going to go to water one more time. We'd watched him water a couple of times. He doesn't show up ten minutes ago, and every minute that goes by, we're closer to shooting hours. And uh, we get a little bit closer. We didn't care. Who cares if we blow the doze out? So we're going to get down to a spot. At least get within. We thought about three hundred yards. Get a get a doable shot. And uh, Clay gave up. You give him all the credit, but Clay gave up. He was done with the hunt. I heard some, some anger and frustrating frustrations. He's got a girlfriend now, right,
4: Cross? No, it had nothing to do with that. Oh I, yeah, did it I knew it told me. I knew it was 15 minutes before shooting time, and we had a f- five or six mile hike back out, uphill both ways, but uphill six six miles, and I knew that was going to be putting us back at in town at one in the morning, and I was just frustrated seeing this antelope for ten hours. And not being able to get on him, I was frustrated. I just wanted to get this the hell is a out new of development to this story.
0: You,
1: yeah. you, you don't the have anger. a lot of patience when it comes to hunting, huh? Mm.
2: <laughs> yeah. well, he so he, eleven. So he he is he's kind of just he's he's dejected. He's getting out of it, and, and I stayed in, in a shooting position. And sure enough, that that buck finally came out of the bottom with his does, and he would be living, and he'd be living for one more year, but he stopped. He stopped on the hill. He had to stop one more time and look at us. He was uh, three seven. He was 370. 0 um, held it on the top of his back, and, and that 6'5 Creedmoor 130 grain, he didn't twitch a muscle. He went down on the ground, and I was, I was in disbelief. I'm still in disbelief. Clay watched it in the binoculars and said that you just stone dead killed him, and I thought for sure he was, he was pulling my leg. I mean, they're just they're just all that time, all that effort, to one moment, you make a shot, he drops on the ground, all I saw was the does blowing out of there, I thought, I just wasn't sure I hit him, I was kind of like Crosby's story, you're, you just don't believe quite, but he's laying there dead on the ground.
1: That that 6.5 Creedmo is a hell of
2: a gun. It hammered that. It's a heavy gun, it's not necessarily the model for backcountry, which you're typically not doing with antelope, so, but... We carried that gun around. I lumped that gun around a long time, but it was a tack driver. Dropped him on the ground, 370. What and, about the optics? What were you shooting? Uh, so what, we, we had a 40-millimeter, 14-power. It wasn't really a long-range long range scope, just enough to make it a very clear scope, but not a, not a long-range scope. Made it happen. I actually, so this animal's on the ground, and we have to hike out of there, and we really don't have a lot of time to kind of do what you typically do after after killing an animal but uh true of all of the animals we've talked about they we talk about ground shrinkage that's that's the hunter's worst the, at least the trophy hunter's worst nightmare is the ground that's shrinkage right. every one of our animals grew on the ground when that when we saw that thing on the ground it was like wow he is everything about him he's taller than we thought he was he has this hook on the back of the horns that you could never see in a spot and scope and just everything about him, his prong was better, his, his mass was better. So you he's guessed just, him at 78, and what he end up being? So he ended up, we, you know, of course, just like any animal, uh, we got to let him dry for 68. He's going to be in, a, in the low to mid 80s. He's but what did be he, an I don't care, what did he rough score when he killed him? he's going to be a 84 inch. No, load.
0: what was he when he killed him, though? What, I don't know what he's going to be. I don't care about the drying period. What was he when
4: he
2: died? Well, he still have to dry. He's an 84 inch channel. Give or take, he's an 84 inch channel. So
0: he's not, he's
4: not at 78. He's not a 78-inch antelope, no.
0: Less I said, he was 83
4: to 85 off the yeah. picture. Yeah. 84 and an eight. 8. But there's more to the story. Clint, they were so late at night. Clint had to walk that. We knew it was going to be a late night, so Clint decided to walk out, up to the machine five miles, and I walked down to the animal, gutted him, and walked him out a mile. And Clint took two and a half hours to get back out around with the, with the Yamaha all the way around to the mountain to where I didn't have to walk this antelope up the hill five miles. I walked him down the hill five miles to the closest part to where we could get to. And two and a half hours later, I had my fist in the air when I, when Clint pulled up to the animal. And it's now two and a half hours later where Clint saw his antelope for the first time You know, from a foot away. And all I could do was cry again. <laughs> I just started crying because it's just the emotion of everything how we I started this podcast. It's so crazy That's to see started, the, the emotional
0: connection yeah, you have with that, that antelope.
1: It, it does happen to, to, to some people. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, uh, It
0: better happen to you or you're not in it for the right yeah, reason. Stop.
3: Clay, I'll, I'll make reference to just like we did H&K Outfitters or whoever they were. Clay gutted my deer and skinned it. <laughs> Clay gutted his own deer and skinned it. I'm sure you did Emma's. I can't it confirm Emma's? that. And he did
4: Clint. So if anybody needs a field dresser, <laughs> well, not only that, let's let's go back to that. Clint, don't give me credit, but my my presence was on Alex's hunt, obviously my hunt, Emma's hunt, and Clint's hunt. So and, and Elk's hunt and Les's hunt in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> no, <problem>. no.
0: <laughs>
3: no. I heard there was just, a picture up on the ceiling. Broke or broke like back that. to the right.
4: elk. <laughs> no, just just uh, just here in Nevada. But anyway. I don't take credit, but it was awesome to be a part of all of it. And I cried on every hunt.
0: And that's that's if you want to do the math, I got it rounded up for you. Go ahead. Seven fifty five. I seven fifty-five plus eighty-four. Seven fifty five. Eight wait a minute. Seven fifty five? Seven fifty five. Eighty four. Fifty five is nine. Is that eight twenty-nine? It is not. Eight thirty nine. Yes, it is. Dang it off by one eight hundred and thirty nine inches of antler in alex crosby's archery nevada archery mule deer clay Belding's nevada archery mule deer emma bronstein's nevada rifle antelope clint Belding's nevada rifle antelope and les nesbitt's california Tule elk savage leopold federal premium matthews and rage broadheads um we, we we mention our partners because they work that's why we're teamed up with them and to to know the success that these guys had to start the 2018 big game season there's still a few more hunts to go on that plus we got duck hunting coming up we have our trip to canada uh grant kuypers can't wait to see him. my brother from another mother buck paradise north barkley fisher buck paradise south and then our good buddy clay charlton over in the province of alberta um, with take Out outfitters we're going to be up there for several days filming season 11 of the foul life we're excited about that we're excited about a lot of stuff going on here check out our new youtube page at this life ain't for everybody we truly appreciate all of the support that everybody is giving us at this life ain't for everybody podcast and again none of it would be doable without our partners and more importantly none of it would be doable without our military our first responders our emt our firefighters our police officers everybody that goes into the fight that except, instead of running from it are the people that we owe our freedoms to be american hunters to and think about it when you hear this podcast it will be a couple days after nine eleven, but think about what our country went to and, and went through, and how we came together. I'm getting emotional talking about it. But because of our our leader at that time, and our and our and and, and what we did as a as a society and as a country, I think we rebounded pretty good. And I think that we owe a huge amount. Of thank you and gratification, not gratification, but just a huge amount of appreciation to those people that, that put themselves in harm's ways when those attacks happened in New York on that day in 2001 and uh, we're, we don't take it for granted that we get to hunt for a living, and we surely don't get take it for granted that we get to involve a lot of our friends and family in it. We're going to eat that elk backstrap and tenderloin or frank steak. It better be the butcher's name. We're going to do it. less. thank you, providing the white tail and the elk for tonight's dinner. Clint's raising his hand like the good student that he always was. 4.0, I believe, leader of his class at UNLV. Go ahead, Clint.
2: Just to end this podcast, Chad, thanks for having us on. Thanks for having me on. But one thing we didn't mention earlier, remember – United Flight 93, yes. Talking about guys that go the other direction. These were ordinary citizens. Could have been any of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They had a feeling of what was going on. A few of them were on the phone, and they had heard something hit the twin towers, and they had a feeling that their plane was going to hit something, and they had the balls to attack that plane with a dang drink cart, yeah, and rush that cockpit, and they forced that plane down. They saved the Capitol building. Or the White House, most likely the White House. Think about the symbolism of the White House. As bad as the Twin Towers were. Imagine that White House, let alone all the extra other people that would have passed away. But that ties back into what we're talking about as far as hunting and our freedoms. But those were ordinary citizens. They weren't firefighters. They were not military. They were not police. Just Americans. They were Americans. And they did something that I th- very few people could do. So remember that. Thank you. Yeah. They yeah, they yeah, coined yeah. the let's roll. Let's
0: roll and yeah. eighteen
2: twelve was the last time the White House
0: got
1: beat up. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm and then and and that's that's what we want to talk about today that's why it was so special to have you guys on it today 9-11 the 17th year anniversary of it thank you guys for everything that you do here for alex crosby les nesbitt my brothers clint belding clay belding i'm chad belding this life ain't for everybody hopefully you guys are enjoying the content that we're bringing to you we're trying to do our best we're trying to think outside the box if you have any recommendations please uh go to your the 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 app or the the format that you listen to these podcasts and leave a review write us a Review. ask us questions we're going to be doing some more instagram live facebook live stuff thank you for all the support of Bandit, avery greenhead gear the foul life dead dog walking this life ain't for everybody for everybody sitting at this table we're humbled to be able to live this lifestyle of the american hunter and thank you guys for everything you do for us for for everybody at the table i'm chad belding this life ain't for everybody peace out
2: i'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich hell without a soul
3: Life on earth won't last that long, what you gonna do
0: when the money's all gone? Say
1: life on earth won't last that long, what you gonna do when the money's all gone?